Welcome to the Ministry Podcast. It is such a privilege that you would tune in. All of my content is designed to bring hope to the dreamers and doers that Jesus offers us a better way to life and Jesus offers us a better way to lead. I hope you enjoy today's episode. We're going to be talking about the spirituality of Christmas this entire month, which everybody likes to talk about the spirit of Christmas, right? But it actually is a whole lot different when we start talking about the spirituality of Christmas. And I think it's the way we wrap the gift of spirituality. See what I did there? Metaphor upon metaphor. The way we wrap this gift of spirituality, I think we haven't always done the greatest job. And I think we need to talk about, we need the spirit of Christmas, which means happiness and joy and all these things. But there's also something much deeper, especially in a culture that doesn't really, um, maybe is okay with the thought of spirituality, but doesn't actually, you know, really think about it in their own life. I hope that this month we kind of remember the whole point of what we call Advent. Now, Advent is a season, this is actually a fun fact, the church calendar doesn't start January 1st in church history, it is December 1st. And so, welcome to the new year, this is the new church year, it always begins with Advent. And today we're going to learn a whole lot about Advent that maybe you've never heard before. I honestly, I hate to say it, I'm a pastor, I've gone through theological training, and I have learned quite a lot about Advent this week that I never learned about before. The first time I learned about Advent was actually in junior high. Have you guys ever heard of that uh, campaign? It's called the Advent Conspiracy. Anybody? Um, Great. So when we did that in junior high, uh, the whole, again, I was a junior higher. So this is nothing against Advent Conspiracy at all. In fact, I looked it up this week just to see like because in my mind, it was a terrible thing. It's a great thing. But as a junior higher, all I took from this Advent conspiracy campaign was I'm no longer going to get a go-kart because it's all about being stingy and we're spending way too much money on the holidays and we need to make it about Jesus. And so I started to hate the word Advent because it meant I didn't get the gift that I wanted. Ironically, my dad was the pastor. He still got me a go-kart. Amen. So I don't know how much he applied the Advent conspiracy, but I'm thanking God that he didn't. But Advent conspiracy... Maybe you've learned about it before, but this whole thing of Advent, what I hope to do this whole uh, 24 days, it starts today, so you're not too late. You can join us now, and that's how we'll end this message today's application of how can we apply Advent in our lives. But hopefully we can repackage what Advent is all about and hopefully bring you closer to Jesus because of it. You guys with me? So the first thing, the first thing I think we've improperly packaged We've judged a gift by its wrapping, which if you ever receive a gift from me and you think it's beautifully wrapped, it's because I did not wrap it, okay? My wife wraps all of the gifts. The first year of marriage, I wasn't even intentional. I just did a terrible job. She said, babe, she's a one, so she's very organized. She said, you're done. You, you are relieved of all those duties. And I said, praise God. But we're going to talk about the gift of silence, Notice your lap. You just didn't like the silence. You had to go, blah, like there had to be something there, right? In our culture, silence is awkward. I think that was 4.3 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. But what we're doing here, silence is a very difficult thing. There was a monk who joined a monastery and took a vow of silence. After the first 10 years, his superior called him in and asked, do you have anything to say? The monk replied, food, bad. So then another 10 years went by. The monk again had an opportunity to finally voice his thoughts and opinions. And so he went to the leader of the monastery and he said, bed hard. 
So then another 10 years went by, and again, he was called in before his superior. When he asked if he had anything to say, remember, he's only spoken four words in 20 years. This is his 30th year. He responded, I quit. And his superior said, it doesn't surprise me one bit. You've done nothing but complain ever since you got here. I like that. All right. We're going to talk about silence. And I don't want to talk about the monk monastery. Well, we're going to, we can learn a lot from them. But my, my purpose isn't for you to be like, yes, I hate my family. I'm going to leave everybody and just be a monk for the rest of my life in December. That is not what it is. But I hope that we start establishing a rhythm of silence in Advent. That is actually what Advent is all about. This is point number one. Uh, what is Advent? Advent is the season of waiting and watching for the arrival of our king and the renewal of our kingdom. I thought Advent was about Christmas. It is. And that's exactly what it is, but it's not necessarily the consumer type of Advent that we've come to learn and and honestly enjoy. You may be surprised that actually silence is foundational to Advent. That's what we're to look at today. There's a quote by Tim Keller. I'll put it up on the screen. Um, I think it's really helpful because when you think of Christmas, you think of joy, you think of laughter, and all those things are true. And at the same time, while you think of joy and laughter, you should also think of silence because Christmas, like the gospel, is full of paradox. This is his quote by Tim Keller. It says, Jesus comes as the light because we are too spiritually blind to find our own way. Jesus became mortal and died because we are too morally ruined to be pardoned any other way. Jesus gave himself to us, and so we must give ourselves wholly to him. Christmas, like God himself, is both more wondrous and more threatening than we imagine. This whole Christmas, it's a beautiful gift. It's all great. But you know why it's such a gift? Because we're so bad, right? We could not save ourselves. And so God himself was the only answer. He had to send himself down into the flesh in order to bring us celebration. So with that, we have to recognize Advent is about this anticipation, knowing we don't have what it takes to make it in this life or, and definitely not the next. And so we're anticipating a savior. We're anticipating something to come our way. And what's crazy is I've always known that Advent is about waiting, but I've never thought it was about silence because we live in the 21st century. Anytime you're in a line, what do you do? You just grab your phone, of course, right? You, especially if you don't want to talk to anybody. You, you notice those people at the bank who are just talkers. You're just like, I don't know you. I don't want to talk to you. So you just kind of do the whole, I don't do that. I'm a pastor. Of course I don't do that, right? Um, and, and so when we think of silence, we don't equate it with waiting. But waiting back in the day was all about boredom, was all about silence, was all about nothing but waiting for the train to come, waiting for whatever to happen. And, it's, and in fact, I do find it interesting, Advent, they talk about um, to even notice, I was reading some church history this week, how they enjoyed the fact that in the wintertime, it's short days and long nights. It actually accentuates, maybe God designed it this way for us to realize, oh, time is short, but there's, the, the, there's no light in the dark, obviously, way to go, Sherlock, um, but with the darkness means silence. And so some people throughout history actually just I know we have lights and everything's a lot different for us, but they would just sit out in the dark in the morning and wait for the light to come in silence. So Advent is all about silence. And I want to look at Luke chapter one and see how is that helpful for us? Okay. 
is this just another typical sermon? Oh my gosh, I was trying to give church another try, and now it's about silence. That sounds miserable. Not at all. Let's look at Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So this was a pretty royal family. They, they kind of had a good names attached to them. Both were righteous in God's sight. This is very important. Living without blame according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive. And both of them were well along in years, meaning there would be no way for them to have a child. We need to write down number one. With the Christmas story, we see that renewal begins with silence from God. Here with Zechariah and, can we just call them Zech and Liz? Not Liz McGuire, but Liz, Elizabeth, right? And so Zech and Liz, they, I, I think it's very important here in the text. Luke decides to say, look, they were both righteous. They were incredible people. They did everything God commanded, but they had no children. They had to put that, Luke, when he was writing this to the people, he had to put they were righteous, they did everything right, but they didn't have children because if you read this in the first century, you would read that they had no children and you would automatically assume that they were evil, that they were unrighteous, that they were deserving of this punishment from God. And sadly, is this not how we often think today? So first of all, let me just give you an encouragement that just because there's silence in some area of your life personally, right? Where things aren't working out. Maybe it's a, an area of shame or guilt or regret because you've tried everything possible, but you can't seem to get that one thing that you want or something has happened to your family. I love this passage by saying the silence from God isn't a punishment. It's not because they were evil that they weren't able to conceive a child. Having no children, again, was a false sign of hidden sin. Also back then, children were your 401k. Like this was your retirement plan. Praise God, it doesn't work that way anymore. Amen. But it was like the only, I'm raising you up and now you have to, you know, the whole, I, I change your diapers. Eventually you're going to have to change mine. Anybody, right? That was the whole thing. And that is actually what happened. You didn't go out and live in another house. You just lived together and they took care of you. Ironically, Zechariah's name, guess what it means? The Lord has remembered. I think for some of us, even just right here, it can be so encouraging because we think it's ironic as Christians. We're here to say there's redemption, there's grace, everything works out. But then in your own life, it seems like the Lord has forgotten you, right? In your own life, there feels like there's nothing but silence. Why would God do this to me? And that's why I think this story is encouraging. So at first, we see right away, we know God has blessed them. We're about to see a great blessing in their life. But renewal begins with silence from God personally, but also about to see how it also happens corporately. Verse eight, when his division was on duty, he was serving as priest before God. It happened that he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. At the hour of incense, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. This is crazy. So what they would do, there was the Holy of Holies. Only one priest can go in. And the most terrifying part, if there's any unconfessed sin and you enter the Holy of Holies, what happens? You die. And so when you walk in, they actually tie a rope around your foot so that if all of a sudden they don't hear anything for a while, he must be dead and they 
drag you out. So it's this weird lottery thing where not all the priests, like, like you can serve your whole life and never actually enter the Holy of Holies, but it's just like catch 22 where it's like, it's going to be all this money, but then I might go broke, you know, that kind of thing. So like, this is a great thing. It's on your resume. If you go in and come out, you're like, I'm awesome, right? Like I did it. And so this is an incredible blessing, but it's also absolutely terrifying. And to make matters worse, what happened in this context, the priests were coming in to try to hear from God. There has been, at this point, 400 years of God being completely silent. You see Malachi chapter 4, the very last verses, talks about the next time I talk, it will be through my prophet. Anybody know the name? John the Baptist, which they said the prophet of Elijah, right? And then, so they're waiting. They're waiting for this John the Baptist to come. And there has been 400 years and they have not heard from God. I think that's crazy. Guys, we weren't even a country 400 years ago. So just imagine, you think how far back you heard from God and now corporately, so they can receive this as a sign of thinking God is done with Israel. God is done with his people. But we have to remember this and applies to our life as well. Renewal begins with silence from God. I think it's really helpful. Now, a quick and lazy reading of this text and context would assume that the reason God wasn't talking to them was because God hated them, right? Like, I, I honestly, I grew up learning that. Like, 400 years of silence, it's because they were just so disobedient. They were so wrong. God finally said, okay, forget it. I'm going to let you do whatever you want. But what if we stop packaging silence as, as a punishment? We must stop packaging silence as a punishment. I'm trying this whole silence thing. It's really hard, okay? Anybody with me? It's too silent. I know this sermon's about silent, but quit being silent. All right. I often wonder, like, how often do we bring our secular, Americanized worldview into the text? Because I have determined anytime there's silence, it is judgment. The way my mom best disciplined me was to put me in my room all alone, right? And back then they didn't have those tablets and all that stuff, but she would have taken that away anyways. And just nothing, just silence. I would do anything but be in silence. And some of you are like, I just love silence. Well, that's not me. So when I read the text, I think, you poor people, there was silence for so long. But I think we can apply this for us personally and corporately. Like just the other day, um, you know, we're a church plant. So we're actually coming up on four years, January 10th, which is absolutely uh, insane to think about. So with our church plant, I have to meet with a lot of these higher ups and they're asking, how's the church doing? Because um, they help us financially and all this stuff. And so I have to always answer questions. And sometimes it's fun. Other times it's not so fun. And the reason why it's not so fun at times is because in the life of a church and it's in your life, there's always ups and downs, right? So it's like, how are you doing? Well, it depends on the day of the week. Like sometimes I'm doing really well, sometimes not. And in the life of a church, sometimes there's really, really difficult seasons. Other times there's amazing seasons. You want to tell everybody about it. And I remember a couple of years ago, we were kind of in a slump in the life of our church. I think it was all purposeful. Again, silence is not a punishment, but I didn't feel that way. And it was so hard when they asked you, they always ask this question, what's God done lately? And I felt this pressure, I know I'm a pastor, I wanted to lie, because I'm like, I, I, I don't know. Like, I already told you what happened four months ago, but that's not good enough for you anymore. Um, we met together, right? Like, the sound system still works? Like, I don't know, like, you know, I still can afford deodorant so I can hug people and stuff? Like, I don't know, like, what, how has God shown up? I don't know. How many of us relate to that, right? It's like, 
you feel this pressure of like, okay, God just, that was, that was so four months ago. What is the next big thing God has done for you? And I love this passage because it reminds us God is about to do the greatest work, but sometimes it takes silence before you get there. I love that. I got goosebumps. Like, I love the fact, like, I want to be like one day when I'm older and I become that guy who asked how church planners are doing. I'm like, has nothing happened for a while? Right? Because, oh, wait, something amazing might happen. You might want to write this down. Silence isn't a punishment because it's a preparation. Silence is not a punishment because it's a preparation. We're about to see in this text, the greatest thing of all time happened. But what preceded it was 400 years of silence. And in our, in my American worldview, it's always about getting louder and getting faster. And that means God is with me. But let me encourage you, God is always loving, but he's not always loud. God is always loving, but he's not always loud. Jesus, you know what he did with his first 40 days of ministry? He went out into the wilderness in Phoenix, Arizona. No, I'm just kidding. He went out into the wilderness and talked to nobody for 40 days. When I used to read that passage, I thought, oh, he's been alone. He hasn't had food. He's got no jobs. His heads are falling up. I had to go through with it. Dumb and dumber, anybody? All right. Like, I felt bad for him. And in the 40th day, what happens? Jesus is tempted by the devil. And I used to think he was at his weakest point. And he still had to fight off Satan. But wait a minute. Silence isn't a punishment. It's a preparation. Jesus got ready for his temptation with Satan by spending 40 days alone in complete silence. It was the silence that prepared him for Satan. Mind-blowing, right? I want to encourage you with your life, whatever's going on in your ministry, your own whatever, this silence is actually a preparation. Now, let me give a caveat before we move on. Could God be silent because of your sin? Yes. So if there's clearly sin in your life, that's why he's silent. Okay, but we know in the context here, Zach and Lizzie McGuire, they were, no, I'm, I'm, that's heresy. Zach and Liz, they were righteous. And yet God was still silent. Rest assured, if you have all of your sin confessed, you're not perfect, but you're pursuing Jesus one day at a time. Silence isn't because of your sin. Silence isn't because of punishment. Henry Nouwen, um, I believe this quote is on here as well. He says one line, and then I'll about to read the, the quote with you. Henry Nouwen, he says, Without silence and solitude, it is virtually impossible to lead a spiritual life. How crazy is that? Here's the quote. Our task, this is talking about pastors, so this is you yelling at me, okay? It says, Our task is the opposite of distraction. Our task is to help people concentrate on the real, but often hidden event of God's active presence in their lives. It is not how to keep people busy, but how to, but how to keep them from being so busy that they can no longer hear the voice of God who speaks in silence. I thought this was convicting for me. A lot of the ministry things, it's make them busy, make them talk a lot. There is no silence. But here we see in this passage Silence is a gift. And I think this first half, we learn the lesson that sometimes it's not our own doing. God in his grace will make things silent. No matter how hard you try to reach out for him and hear from him, there is this weird thing where God, he's not punishing you, he's preparing you, is silent. 
but we're also going to see how silence with God should be something that we do ourselves as well. So let's look at verse 13. You guys still with me? Do you hear the base of that movie next door? It's Frozen. I didn't know it had that. Okay. All right. That's the Holy Spirit. Amen. Praise God. Verse 13. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid. Oh, I skipped something. Let's look at verse 11. An angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the altar of incense. When Zech saw him, he was terrified and overcome with fear. Every time an angel appears in the Bible, it's terrifying. So it's not like those floaty things like, it's like, right? And so be terrified. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. I know I work out, but because your prayer has been heard, your wife, Elizabeth, what? Will bear you a son and you will name him John, the first Baptist. I'm just, I, I hate that joke. He's not an actual, they call him, he's John the Baptist. Verse 14, there will be joy and delight for you and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord and will never drink wine or beer. He, he really is a Baptist. He will be filled with, that was a good joke that I didn't plan guys. Maybe he was the first Baptist. Okay. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. Silence isn't a punishment. It is a preparation. Yeah, you're taking the silence thing way too seriously. Now, verse 18, how can I know this? Zechariah asked the angel, for I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. That is a great husband. She's well along, you know, not like she is just, oh no, she's well along gently. Okay. Verse 19, the angel answered him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. Now, listen, you will become silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. Point number two. So not only does renewal begin with silence from God, now we must learn that renewal extends through silence with God. Again, silence here isn't a punishment. I've always read this passage and thought, oh, he is a cynic. He is doubtful. God's gonna, God is so mad at Zechariah for not believing in God. And so the punishment was to be to take away his voice box. And that might be how you've always heard it preached. And I'm sorry. I, I, I think maybe there's a portion of that. I, I think there's something bigger here. I don't believe when Gabriel says you're not going to speak until John the Baptist is born. I've always read it as a punishment. I'm changing the tone, but I think what we see here, silence from God isn't a punishment. Write this down somewhere. Silence with God is an invitation. So the first thing we learn in the first half of the text, silence from God is not a punishment, it's preparation. He's preparing you for something. Not only that, but when you start to hear and actually clearly see what that silence is preparing you for, he then gives you even more silence and is inviting you into his presence. Silence does so much for our soul. The problem is, we're talking about the spirituality of Christmas, right? We avoid all things of spirituality in our culture because we're, it's simply too noisy to even think about, right? We are too distracted with the things of this world. We haven't thought about the things of God. 
James K. A. Smith, he's one of my favorite authors. He wrote in How to Not Be Secular. He began his book by really talking to pastors and, and ministry leaders and evangelists and whatever. And he said, it's really a wrong strategy of you in our secular age to think, okay, here's my ministry strategy. Do you notice that God shaped hole in your heart? I have Jesus. You're welcome. Right? Like that is, have you heard, maybe I've used that before. Not in that tone, right? Okay. But it's like, you know, oh, wow, there's a hole in your heart. I'm like, what? You know, it's God-sized and God's for you, right? And And so a lot of people in evangelism think like, there it is. Just tell them. The problem is, James K. Smith goes on to say, they don't even notice the hole in their heart because they're too distracted with the things of this world. There is so much noise today and so many things to be busy with that you actually can convince yourself that you're okay, right? You can actually convince yourself, I don't need to think about the afterlife, I just have to think about Frozen 2, right? Like I can just move on to the next thing and the next thing and not actually come to grips with spirituality. And so that's why I believe of all things, for us this Advent, not just as non-Christians, but Christians alike, what could silence do for our soul? Gabriel thought it was so important for Zechariah to get a full picture of all that God was doing, to see all that God was stirring. He said, I'm going to make this even better for you. I have a gift coming. It's John the Baptist. He's going to introduce Jesus. It's going to be great. But to make this even better for you, for you not to miss what God is going to do in your life, I'm going to make you silent for nine months. I also think it was a gift for Elizabeth. Amen. During your pregnancy, your husband ain't yapping at all. I think it's also like, we love you, Lizzie. So silent husband, right? And uh, that might be a good tradition. Just kidding. Um, But what if, let me just ask, in this Advent season, full of noise and celebration and lights and the like, what if God wants you to be silent with him? Because he wants to show you what's actually going on. Now, again, the first half, there's silence from God. Even if you try to be, he's going to be, it seems like he's away from you. It's because he's preparing you. But hopefully, and what we're trying to do at our church is to lead you towards maturity, lead you towards a really deep relationship with Jesus. My prayer is some of you are ready where you're at the point where God is inviting you. He's not saying, I'm going to be silent from you. I want you to be silent with God. He's saying, I want you to be silent with me. Silence is actually, in the stage of maturity, is something we actually choose. So let's figure out, should you, this holiday season, be silent? And your wife goes, yes, right? Okay, here's my proposition for the application of this text, okay? If your soul feels distant from God, if you feel like you're restless, if you are in a situation where you feel like you want to hear from God, but you haven't in a while, maybe silence should be for you. If you are somebody who finds yourself cynical right now towards the things of God, you hear about things like Kanye West and you think there's no way, right? You hear about miracles happening at Christmas, you think that's just so stupid. Maybe the, the noise and distraction of this world has actually removed you from experiencing the spirituality of Christmas. Silence should be for you. Or maybe you escape your problems Often right now, you find yourself going to the next movie, to the next event, reading the next article, watching the next video, going to the next social media feed. You're constantly busying yourself because you know you just feel this emptiness. I believe God is calling you to be silent with him. Or maybe you just don't know your purpose. Maybe you don't know where you're going, how you're going to get there. You're just really frustrated. I really believe the answer for your soul right now, especially in this Advent season, is not to keep learning more and talking more. Maybe, just maybe, it's the gift of silence. 
I wrote this. I It was a point on your bulletin, and I thought, you guys are getting tired of me. So I took it off the bulletin, but if you like it, write it on there or on your notes. But I, I put this in my journal, okay? We commit violence to our soul when we skip silence for a scroll. We commit violence to our soul when God wants you to have an opportunity for silence and instead you scroll. I'm so preaching to myself right now, it's insane. I, do not, I will not let any of you check my iPhone this week to see how much time I spent. We were at Thanksgiving with weird people, right? So I had to be on my phone for a while, amen? So let's just give us all grace. Don't check your phone time this week. We needed it, right? Don't check the scale for a couple months. You know, we needed it, right? But what if in Advent application, we started having a different relationship with noise and silence? So I'm, here is my three points of application that I'm encouraging you to do every day this month. Well, you, you can stop on the 26th if you want to, whatever, right? You with me? Number one, start your day, the first 10 minutes of your day, in silence with God. Now, this might sound crazy, right? It's like, how do you do that? Ruth Haley Barton, she wrote a really good book called um, In Silence and Solitude. I just read it this week. It's a pretty short read. What she suggests to do, which again, if you're crazy, you can do this, but she suggests getting up before sunrise and then getting uh, out on the porch or the backyard if your schedule uh, is okay with this and watching in silence light come to the earth. But a lot of us are busier than that, so it's okay. So just wake up 10 minutes before your normal time and just in your bed, this is what I did all week because I was preaching this, so I had to apply it. And I set an alarm, a 10-minute alarm, and just sat inside. Now, this is hard. If you're somebody like me, first of all, some of you, you need to get out of your bed, right? And go get coffee and all that. I get it. I'm weird. If I'm up, I'm up, right? But here is what I would suggest for you to do in that 10 minutes. Set a timer so you're not always checking your phone. How much time? How much time? Set an alarm. And just breathe in and breathe out. And just say, Lord, come. If you ever feel like you need to say something, you feel, I don't know where, Lord, come. Advent's about waiting, watching the Lord to come. I'm about to explain that a little bit more, but just for now, just 10 minutes of your day, just centering yourself with the Lord, leading him to think whatever about him that, you, that he's leading you to think about, and just being silent with him. This will be hard for most of you because so much of our life is about what we do for God. And you're going to feel like, I, I didn't do enough for you, God. I didn't pray to you. I didn't, I didn't read my Bible. Like, I'm actually a loser Christian right now. What's crazy about silence, it's not about what you do for God. It's about what God is doing in you. So it's super passive and very frustrating. But you'll notice, like, it took five days. But on the fifth day, I was like, this is really, really nice. I love this, God. Can we make it 20 minutes? You know, like, it's a beautiful thing. I encourage you to try that this week and this month. Um, the next thing, this is an even harder application. You're just so happy you came to church today. The spirituality of Christmas. Number two, the next application is throughout your day. When you're waiting in line for anything, don't check your phone or social media. Like when you're in line at the bank, which who does that, right? But if you're in line at the bank, I, I could come up with a better illustration, but I'm currently not, right? I'm, don't judge me. I'm taking my kids to Disneyland this week. And so on Tuesday, we're going to be there. It's going to be raining, glorious. It's going to be great. Nobody's going to be there. But when I am in line, I'm going to, first of all, talk to my kids, right? But no phone, no media. It's amazing. When you drive this month, 
don't turn on the radio. Why do we do that? Why do we always need noise? To me, I'm a learner. I'm like, I just, there's just so much out there to learn. I have another podcast, another thing to watch, another creative. No, remove those things because Advent is about waiting. And what happens though is you realize how empty you are without Christ. And maybe things start to well up in your soul. You recognize, I've been putting things off. I've been avoiding my character. I've been avoiding things. And when you're in silence, God brings forth the things he wants you to deal with. I can't help but think a modern version is Gabriel coming down and saying, for the next nine months, I'm taking away your phone, right? Like, I can't, I, I really think that would kind of be like a modern day example. Like, what's going on in the news? I don't know. I don't have my phone anymore. I do not know what's going on. I am, it's like I can't even speak anymore, right? And so I would encourage you to do that. Remember, silence is not a punishment. And if you view this as a punishment, don't do it. But it's an invitation. God wants to speak with you and talk to you. And if you think, I've never heard from God, have you ever been silent with him? How could he talk if all you're doing is talking? That's what my wife tells me. Um, I have to stop talking, let her talk, right? Now again, silence just for silence's sake, and secular society tries to do that. Oh, let's just be silent. It's pointless if you're not aiming it towards Christ, towards God. That's what Christmas is all about. It's actually about Jesus. Now here's the last point of application, number three. What we need to be doing during this silence in your day in the morning and then throughout your day, you need to be thinking about the second and third coming of Christ. Have you ever heard, who here has ever heard of the third coming of Christ? Thank you. I never have either. I did some research uh, this week. St. Bernard of Clavois, whatever that is, um, he actually coined this phrase, the third coming. So let me just say real quick, there's only in the Bible, there's the first coming, which is Christmas. God come, we're talking about this all month, right? Awesome. The second coming is when he's going to come back. It's going to be great. I'm on that plan. I don't want to die. So, you know, I just want to just be, oh, cool. It's, it's time. The trumpet's going and I'm riding up with Jesus, right? It's the second coming of Christ. Everything is done. But what is this third coming? Let me first of all talk about the second coming. Second coming is corporate. Jesus is coming back as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's going to be riding in on a horse, ushering in the new kingdom. Which, by the way, if you've seen Frozen 2, that's what Elsa does. She's on a white horse, ushering in the new kingdom. I'm like, you took that from the Bible, okay? You copycat. Give credit to Jesus, okay? Now, what we're doing during this time when we're thinking about the second coming of Christ, we're lamenting the fact that there's still injustice and sin in this world today. Like in our silence, you may be thinking about the suffering you've been going through this year. Allow that to happen. Allow to be angry that you've lost loved ones, that, that, that there's so much pain and agony and suffering in your life. In silence, we say, God, these are realities, but I praise you that you're not leaving us here. And one day you're going to come and make everything right. So as a corporate, as society, we're not just saying society is so terrible. What we're doing is we're lamenting it, but we're also so excited because Jesus is going to come back and right every wrong. Cool? So that's meditating on the second coming. So think of that in your silence alone with God throughout the day and in the morning. But the third coming of Christ is very personal. Look at verse 24 of Luke chapter 1. It says, after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and kept herself in seclusion for five months. She said, the Lord has done this for me. He has looked with favor in these days to take away my disgrace among the people. Elizabeth was praising God that, yes, through Elizabeth, God was answering a corporate, everybody's going to get saved. But at the same time, God was answering her specific prayer of having a son. 
What St. Bernard references with the third coming of Christ, it is the personal coming in your life. Maybe right now there is something you've continually brought in prayer to God and you feel like he hasn't answered yet. For Zek and Liz, it was to have a child. For you, it can be a myriad of things. In this Advent season, in your silence, bring those prayers to God. Yes, God wants to save all of us, but guess what? He also wants to save and bless and love you personally. And so I love this reality of Christmas. It's a reminder that, yes, he loved all of the whole world, but also he loves and cares about me and my unique situation and the things that I am going through. So I want you to think about, yes, the second coming, but start to think about what is that prayer all month, that third coming? For some of you, it's to get saved, for you to actually believe in God. Others of you, there's a myriad of things. It's to to get through this pain, to give you purpose and clarity, whatever it is, bring it and say, Jesus, I need you to come in my own life specifically. Now, before the band comes up, I want us to practice being silent. Okay? So for the next minute, literally, I want you in silence to breathe in and breathe out and just simply say, in your mind or even quietly, Lord, come and meditate on him. Let's see how this goes.